0: This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align.
1: Great day, everyone. Ed Dudley. Welcome to Journey, the Financial Advisor Experience with my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend over in Maryland, Mr. Garland Scott and our our beautiful co-host. So it's too early to start that in the broadcast. Um, If you follow us, we will talk a little bit about sports early on. They're seven the Eagles, congratulations, you guys, seven and all. You're gonna do just like the Yankees, have a great season, and then fizzle out <laughs> towards the end. So enough about sports. Greer, how are you doing today?
2: Great. Um Dan Snyder is uh possibly gonna maybe sell the team. I saw that. Not, you like, that oh, or... I know you said no more sports, but I'm I'm excited because <laughs> we could possibly, possibly be. A real team, sometime in the future, uh, in my lifetime, if Dan Snyder would just uh, give up.
0: It's amazing how that coincided with a federal investigation. Oh yeah.
2: Weird. Weird. Yeah, isn't
0: oh,
1: now they we got some dirt on there. So. But enough of that. We digress because we can sit here and talk sports all day long. This is not a sports show. This is tapping into some of the experience of some amazing financial advisors uh, out there. And I was fortunate enough to connect with our next advisor. She's actually in, um, close to my hometown in Massachusetts, and um, uh, I need to talk to her because she's got a journey, and she's got some stories. And I, and once again, found her through LinkedIn. The power of LinkedIn. If you're not utilizing it, you're missing out. But without any further ado, from Massachusetts, the one and only
3: Nola Kulig. <laughs> How are you, Nola? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate
1: you taking some time out of your day to just spend some time with us and talk a little bit about your journey and what it's like being a woman in the industry for a while. And you've owned your own business as an advisor for quite a while. So if you don't mind, if you just share a little bit who you are, um, how you got started into this financial industry and um, we can go from there.
3: Yeah, and I'll try to make this the short version because um, that's the thing. I get to my stage of career, I have too many stories. But um, the short version of uh, getting into this industry is that, um, you know, I came from a very working class kind of background. um, And fortunately, I also had um, parents who were Depression era folks. So, you know, early on, you learn. you know, basically, if you don't master money, money will master you or lack that thereof. But I was lucky enough to get into a really uh, great liberal arts college, Whitman College out west. That's where I come from is Washington State and um, decided to become an econ major mostly because it was practical mm-hmm. <laughs> and I needed to work after I got out of school. Once I got out of school, all I knew about was banking, you know. You're just a kid, right? You don't know what's out there. So you, um, I was trying to get into banking uh, management programs, but guess what? And this is relevant to today. People are all upset about inflation and um, huge increases in interest rates. I graduated in 1981, which was precisely when Mr. Volker was doing his rate hikes. We got up to 10% unemployment. Um, but luckily the government was still hiring. So my first job out of school was to be a bank examiner of all things. This is not something when you're a little kid, you jump up and down and say, yeah, mom, dad, that's what I want to be. Um, it was, but it was a great learning experience because, um, I learned about the credit cycle, which I have great respect for. It dominates a lot of what happens in economics and business. Um, and, but from there, I. Uh, got um, an interest in investments and uh, was a, and some people gave me great advice on next steps, certifications to get, companies. That's where I discovered the Russell Company, which if people aren't familiar with it, um, they're probably most people who are not familiar with them. They were and still are a major pension consultant. Uh, They have a big money management business now, and I was lucky to be there at its formative stages, but a lot of people might know it's best for the indexes, especially the Russell 2000 index, which measures small cap performance. Anyway, spent 15 years there, had a tremendous learning experience. I think it was really the formative stage of of my career. All along, though, I'd be interested in advising regular people. you know and so after russell i did some consulting uh actually two investment managers with a partner and we ran that business for several years and then that ran its natural course and then i finally could come around to financial advising but what's interesting is a couple of things to me number one you know the proportion of women in the financial industry in general has not changed over all that time. It's just stayed stuck at around 30%. Um, And the other thing is that the advice industry has changed tremendously over that time. I think one issue with women in that industry is a lot of uh, us are turned off by the sales aspect um, and the sales culture that some organizations have. And, um, luckily that's changed a lot. I mean, I'm an independent advisor. All I sell is advice. I don't work on commission. I don't have to produce. I hate that producer term (laughs) that's out there. Um, you know, because you're expected to produce lots of money for, for large companies. Right. Um, who have that particular business model. Um, there are others, thank goodness now, that that have more uh, of a business model that's similar to mine, fee for advice, and that's it. Um, so thank God that transformation has happened. It was finally the right time in my life and finally the right time in that industry to come back and, and take another look at it. So sorry, that was long.
2: No, no, that was great. Um, I th- one of the things that you said that like immediately just like hit home was the, about the sales process. And I completely agree with what you said. And I didn't even realize that I did until you said it. Um, But I am very, very turned off, but I'm pretty much turned off by any sales process. Like the minute that you start trying to sell me something, I like shut down completely. And I'm, and so like, (laughs) the idea that I have been in this financial services industry for as long as I have and I spent the first decade of it in the wirehouse world um, yeah I guess it never really occurred to me that I just didn't love the sales part of that process and, and and as soon as I was in the independent world I felt much better about the financial services industry and it didn't I didn't have quite such an aversion to the people in it anymore um, mm-hmm. really resonates with me, but I, you know, nobody really ever put it that way before until just now. So thank you, you've given me a little bit more of an understanding <laughs> of my feelings towards this industry a little bit. Um, so yeah, that wasn't a question, that was just like a, a note
3: <laughs> from you what you have
2: to say. But um, yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you went from that one like banking and section into how you got into um being a financial fee planning advisor like um can you kind of tell us i know you said that you transitioned into that but can you kind of give us a little bit more detail about how you did that
3: sure um well, you know, the first leap was getting from banking into a more investment oriented firm like Russell, which, you know, they uh, were total, almost totally, I wouldn't say totally, but a, a vast majority of their business at the time was on the institutional side. So advising, you know, really big money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a great, again, a great place to learn, you know everything uh, during my time there i also got my uh chartered financial analyst designation so when it comes to people who are interested in either in that that's really what you get uh the certification you get for investments um that was perfect for me because i couldn't afford graduate school so <laughs> um i spent three years of my life um every spring i had to study for the june exam and fortunately got done with all three of those It's basically the equivalent of um, graduate level work and investments. So if that's one path people can take, um, it's pretty specific compared to maybe what you would do if you're interested in advising. So for advising, I didn't really tackle um, that transition until much later in my career. I've had my own practice for about 10 years now. No, 12 years now. Sorry, it goes by fast. But um, I took a similar path. Um, First of all, I found an organization I could respect, another one. Um, This is going to be a little plug for the Garrett Planning Network. Um, And there are others out there like XY Planning, a lot of um, younger folks join. um, And there are others. Um, But I found, uh, you know, Cheryl Garrett was one of the pioneers in the 90s of this fee-only planning model. So I had followed her for a long time and really respected what she was doing. <clears throat> so when it came time to to look at a career transition, it was a natural thing to look at the Garrett Planning Network. And so that was a great way to get started, um, especially as an independent you know entity you know i wasn't coming out of a firm that was doing uh financial advising actually in my little neck of the woods and maybe ed can relate to this there aren't a lot of firms like that <laughs> it's right. very uh kind of semi rural in a lot a lot of this uh part of massachusetts I'm not near boston or anything like that so <clears throat> excuse me um that was the way only path i could see so uh, they provide you with a, um, you know, a method to get started. Uh, and now I'm with a, an offshoot uh, of, of Garrett that Cheryl founded, which is now named CGN Advisors. And they actually provide a true platform um, so that you can run your own independent practice with uh, the support of, of a home office. So that was important. Cheryl Aguera was still so involved at the time that she personally reviewed my first plans, and which was great to get that kind of feedback from someone with that much experience because it is very different from just doing the investments. You've got to know everything with financial or something about many aspects of financial advising. <clears throat> and then again, a certification came into play uh, so I studied again and got my CFP. That was interesting. You know, I hadn't been in school for years and years and years, but you know, past that. So um hung out my shingle and been busy ever since.
2: It's great that you recognized that you could, because I think it resonates with a lot of people who are career changers. They think, Oh, if I wanna change careers, I need to go back to school. Um, But the financial services industry offers some of those certifications that you can go and get without necessarily going back to actual school. Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up because it points out some of the actual paths that some of those people who are focused on the education to be able to make a change to their careers and so, yeah, anybody out there who is thinking of making a change in their career and they don't necessarily want to go back to school because it might be time consuming or, or expensive, uh, the financial services industry does offer some of those certifications and those certifications open up open up a lot more doors for you to go and do something a little bit different in the industry that you uh, were, weren't doing before. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good point and. I'm glad that you talked about that a little bit. Um, I'm asking all the questions, Ed and Garland. Do you
3: guys
1: have any questions? <laughs> so, so the you run, Greer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, go ahead, Greer. But you know, I, mean, one I question guess I'm not that,
2: even asking questions. I'm just talking.
1: <laughs> I was. I will ask the one question that I have is: so you you leave Russell, you go to start your hang up your own shingles, do your own as an advisor. What was that experience like?
3: Um, there was a um, path. Um, you know, I spent several years with with my partner consulting on other things before the advisory experience. So I guess um, that was good because it sort of. I'm sorry, I need to. Oh, I guess I can't control the pinging on, on my email. Maybe I should just shut that. But um, <laughs> it was. Um, it gave, got my feet wet with uh, entrepreneurialism because when you're with a nice big company like Russell. It's sort of the mothership. <laughs> it's comfortable. You've got your benefits. They're paying you reasonably well. Um, you know, there's so much to like about it. and yet, you know, you, you might get to a certain point where you say, hmm, it seems like I've done what I can here. Um, so um, the transition to uh, so it was good to have a, another gig, I guess, before I went into the financial advisory. Uh, side of things because, you know, I got used to being more of an entrepreneur. I left the mothership. I knew I could exist. (laughs) Um, And frankly, I had family responsibilities at the time that I could handle better outside of a corporate setting. Um, So when it finally came time to make the leap totally on my own, no partner, I have to say it was scary. Um, you have to be okay with the fact that, you know, this could fail, you know, um, a lot of people said, oh, come on, you know, with your credentials and background, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, but you gotta go get the business, uh, somehow. Um, so I had, I had to cope with that and, you know, be okay with saying, well, you know, that didn't work out. I'm going to do something else, whatever that was. So a little scary and um but once you get involved in this business there is so much demand so much need for advice so much i mean literally the first day i put my profile on the garrett planning network i had an inquiry i mean but we also you also have to size up your um market and today it's a little different. You can work virtually, you can work with anyone in the country. Um, That wasn't true even 10 years ago. It was more of a local market But I did size that up. And, you know, it's like, hmm, there's a lot of brokers here. There really aren't many independent advisors. And yet it's a pretty well populated state, even on this side of it um, in Western Massachusetts. And um, so it's never been a problem because there was a scarcity factor. I don't know if the fact that I am female may have helped a bit. Again, back to that scarcity of of female advisors. I think sometimes um, we wonder if just being there makes a difference. And I'm a strong believer after a lot of experiences over my career that just our presence makes a difference there is someone else to reach out to, someone who might look like a friendlier face for whatever reason, Um, something you put on a blog post resonates with somebody, you just don't know until you go and do it. So I haven't found getting business to be an issue at all. Um, And I feel very blessed by that, really.
2: I'd like to so before, hear.
1: Um,
3: I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I got into this business
0: in the late 90s and I started off with a big bank, B of A. And like Ed, my role was to walk around warehouses and sell things. When I walked around the warehouse to sell things, the cultures were very different than what I had anticipated. First of all, the scarcity of color usually there, and the scarcity of women that were there that were actually advisors. Um, there were a lot of women in the building but always support staff. Yeah. So I'm not old enough to have done this in the 80s, but I always heard some of the stories from the 80s as if it was sort of the good old times. But That was always from a male perspective. Tell me how it was for you, and I don't want to disparage big companies because I don't have money for lawsuits, but I think we can be honest enough, um, you know, if if it in fact was impactful to your career or even to just the way you viewed going into work every day, what what was the 80s culture like for, you know, for a very intelligent woman on the
3: rise in the industry? Um, well, I again, I just feel so lucky that I was, uh, you know, because I spent a good chunk of my early career at Russell. Um, George Russell, he's he's passed away now. He, he was leading the company at the time, it was a family business, which he spun into this enormous, uh, enormously influential financial company. Um, so his journey is amazing. He actually wrote a book about his. Um, but um, he used to get kidded, because people would say, tell him, you've got women running your company. Ha, ha, ha. You know, this was still uh, late 80s um, or that was a big deal uh, mm-hmm. to have some senior women at the company. And he he did. I mean, and they helped build that thing. I think our next generation of, of folks, we also helped build it up, you know, to the next level. But um, I I was just really lucky that the corporate culture was what it was. Not to say that the guys, you know they were the guys, you know, <laughs> um, they, they talk, excuse me, you all talk sports <laughs> a lot. You know, I'm, I'm not a sports person I couldn't engage at that level. But, um, I, I think there was a basic level of respect for each other just, you know, based on the quality of your work. Um, once in a while, I mean, even though as good as it was there, I did feel like I was supposed to be kind of like uh, a guy, except I'm wearing a skirt, right? But, um, you know, and so I, it makes it a little harder to be your authentic self. Um, although the senior women there, we were always trying, we would have other discussion topics we'd talk about, something besides sports, something. <laughs> but so, But there were enough of us there. There was a critical mass there. I've read um, studies, uh, because I was on a corporate board at one time, a small company. Um, If you've got one woman on a board, it's, um, you're the pioneer. Everyone, you can, like, you're the woman. (laughs) You have the woman view. Tell us. (laughs) You're kind of singled out. Uh, If you get a couple, that dialogue becomes easier. If you get three, it becomes normal. To have that um, sort of person on your board, and I'm sure that's very similar. If it's you know a, a race issue, gender issue, whatever, um, it just sheer numbers help. But it doesn't have to be the whole board, you know, right. or a whole group comprised of of um, you know a certain type of person. That diversity is really important. So I think we had gotten to critical mass, and I think the The women who had been there from the earlier phases really kind of helped set the tone. They were incredibly bright and innovative and um, brought the company along. So it made my job a lot easier.
2: And I think one of the things that you said in the last question was that you had an opportunity as a woman who was a fee-only financial advisor that, the business came to you specifically because you were a woman. So there's really no lack of um, opportunity. And I thought that is interesting because I think the narrative has always been the opposite is that like, Oh, you know, um, all these financial advisors are men and men are the ones that are managing the finances, but. When you really look at the breakdown of households, like I manage the finances in my household, um, I don't think my husband would even know how to log in to our bank accounts and see what's happening. Um, Very and common. I, that, <laughs> I know that that's the case for a lot of other households as well. So when I am seeking out some help with my finances, I want to talk to other women because I want their opinions and well, because I've been in this industry for a really long time and I have seen what it's like, and I would just, I, I like to see representation for me. I think people of color feel the same way. And when you don't see that, it's a little discouraging. And so you're not reaching out as much and you're not getting as much help as you need. And so that's why representation in the industry is so important because education on finances is so important. And we want to learn from the people, you know, that we can relate to. And sometimes that is easier when the person looks like you. So um, it's interesting that you got an inquiry on the first day and also (laughs) that you didn't find it to be that difficult. And I think that's because you are a woman and women were probably seeking Women and it gave you an opportunity while all the men are fighting over everyone else. Is that kind of the experience that you think that you had? Or
3: is that well, I, mean? I might re uh, characterize it a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. I mean I mean, bottom line, it's someone's expertise that attracts people, someone, you know, that you think knows what they're talking about. Yep. That uh, someone who maybe focuses on, you know, your set of issues. So my, you know, given where I am in life, my cohort tends to be people who are, um, you know, looking ahead to retirement. I am really blessed to have some younger folks as well. Um, But um, you know, that tends to be who, who I attract. Um, There do there, having said that, you know, there are single women who, who reach out that I'm um, you know, I would guess that this is a more comfortable setting for them. Um, You know, um, there are lesbian couples who have come to me. um, And I think they feel like this is a more comfortable place for them. Um, It's kind of interesting, even occasionally, if if someone like that calls, they, they just want me to give me a heads up and make sure that I'm okay with that. So as much as we've progressed in this country in terms of accepting, being accepting of people of all sorts, you know, that obviously some folks still feel like they have to be careful. Um, so I'm glad they feel comfortable enough to come here. Um, I also though have experienced a lot, I, I haven't decided to like um, specialize my practice focusing on women's issues. Cause you know, it's all the same stuff. The dollars and cents stuff is the same, no matter who you are women do have additional challenges when it comes to time out of the workforce, to do caretaking. I have some personal experience with that. Um, and, you know, um, you know, maybe certain career choices that tend to be more dominated by women don't pay as well. Um, there are pay gaps that may exist, even if you're in a more, um, you know, higher paying um, profession, um, all kinds of things. And we live longer. P.S. So we've got to cover more years in retirement. So there's all sorts of things you can focus on, but the dollars and cents of it are the same, whether it's men or women. Um, But I do find couples when they come to me, uh, this has happened more than once. um, If the male in the couple is the one who handles the finances, he says, I want to make sure, I want someone my wife's going to be comfortable with. This is a big issue for, for couples you know, where the advisor may just talk to the guy. I don't know if um, if, yep. if you've experienced this career, but, um, you know, I, I have felt invisible sometimes as a female in the room. I don't so much anymore because I open my mouth more. Yeah. <laughs> the older I, I get, a, you know,
1: I do don't care what office. people
3: think, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a common kind of, kind of experience. And um, even if as she's not particularly engaged, you know, in, in a couple, if the woman is not particularly engaged with the financial issues, um, you know, it's something I work hard to try to get her at least baseline familiar with what's going on. Um, so, and it's also, you know, an issue in case something happens to the husband. Or you know, this is true for yeah. any couple. It doesn't matter Wh- whoever's dominant, whoever handles those details, whoever does know how to walk into things, um, and all of that. You know, what if something happens to them? Here's another avenue, a way, another resource for whoever's left behind. So um, anyway, I, there are lots of reasons. I think being female has helped, but that's not how I kind of, uh, focus on things, right. You know, too many people out there to help. Yeah. Yeah. So no, so
1: ahead. So Nola, you know, so my question is, you know, we, we were communicating back and forth and you made the comment, it's going to stick with me, you know, as long as you've been in the business, the needle hasn't moved really for women. Why do you think that is?
3: Oh boy. There are so many possible reasons. Um, You know, I, my guess, um, and this is based on comments, um, some women and couples I work with make, I'm just don't want to be concerned about money. I don't want to focus on money. It's, I don't know. Um, it almost sounds like a value statement. Like they want their life to be about other things. And absolutely. That's, that's what we want. But we don't want money to be an obstacle to those things, is, is what I would say, say to people. Um, a lot of people, men and women, though, also carry around, um, oh, gosh, what's the phrase? Someone came up with money. It's like stories you tell yourself mm-hmm. um, in your head. It influences how, how you think about, about money. Money may be kind of a, a taboo topic. Maybe that's how it was in your family. Um, maybe in your family, women just didn't engage with that. Um, maybe the men did take care of everything, and you know, that's the way it was. Um, but so many women end up on their own. And unfortunately, money is necessary <laughs> to our well-being. And so it's not that we want to be greedy about it or miserly. Some people have those associations with money too. It makes it a bad thing if we're too focused on that. And I would agree to an extreme, that's true. But it's an unfortunate fact that we need our foundation under us. Um, so you got to master your own money. So I think that might be as a starting point, um, part of the reason that, um, Occupational choice too. Um, it may be that women are are just interested. I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I got interested in this this part of the world um and what's going on out there. But occupational choice, I actually did a is huge. <laughs> um, and I did some research as a as a kid in school about the pay gap. And that's the key determinant, at least it was at that time, and I think it still is. It still um, is. So a lot of um, women are attracted to the helping professions. Um, So nursing, education, um, you know, so um, that I'm sure is a factor and culturally, those are very different places. So, but um, the culture of or the perception of the culture of financial firms, I think has a lot to do with it, too. And when it comes to financial advising, I think that sales culture still has has uh, creates a lot of barriers. So, um, I know, and this is a more recent example because my daughter just graduated from school. Here's her her experience so far, looking for opportunities in this industry. Um, so she's um, she can't, she went to business school, and they have a lot of recruiters that come. Virtually every advisory position was sales. It was the big insurance companies. It was, um, you know, the Morgan Stanley's, the Merrills, all of those places, uh, plus some other more regional types of things. And it was all sales. And she just, I can't, I can't get my arms around this. I just can't deal with that sort of culture. She was familiar with, you know, how I do things here. So for now, at least, she's working with me. Um, and so we'll see what tomorrow brings. She's young. She's bright. she's could do a million different things. Um, so we'll see how long I keep her. But, um, you know, finding, finding the fee-only firms is tough. Right. Um, so if I can pass along to people to look at the... Uh, National Association Association of Personal Financial Advisors, otherwise known as NAPFA, those are the firms. You know, I think m- more women and and others may want to focus on, as opposed to the big, well-known names that you see on TV.
0: No doubt about it. My wife is a school teacher. My daughter's a nurse, so I know exactly where you're coming from from that standpoint. Merrill and UBS and Morgan Stanley and Raymond James and all the big banks, unfortunately, their value, they place their value on their advisors through assets. You know, how much, how much money do you have under management? We'll give you all the facilities to invest that money, but they want you out there getting more of it. And, yep. and so lots of times, you know, we see it all the time where there are two, two kinds of CFPs, if you will. One that does real planning work. And then one that just has the designation because somebody told them it, it looked good on the business card. And that's that's unfortunate. My firm only works with um, planners and in a lot of cases fee only planners. Uh, we on purpose. We steer away from you know, those those bigger entities because we don't we don't want to get caught in the backdraft of paying to play and being available on someone's list, you know, from an asset management standpoint. Um, So I commend you for you know for for making that leap to the other side. I've I've been trying begging my friends to do that for years. Get to the other side. Make your designations mean you something. You know, don't just have them on your business card to say you have them on the business card because you know Mother Merrill said you should do this. It's not the right reason.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, the world keeps changing. I mean, I, I'm going to sound like I'm making a, a plug for another organization, but Go for it. Um, so insurance, okay commission driven, clearly, right? for years and years and years and years. Um, so as if, um, but the fee only advisor market is is large now. And so um, there's a, a company, there's more than one company that that does either low load or no load commission um, insurance. But um, a new in, new insurance in the last 10 years is uh, DPL advisors. And, you know, they're down in Louisville, Kentucky, and they have completely transformed annuities. For example, um, they're no commission. You strip out all those expensive fees, you get something you actually feel good about, um, bringing to a client. It's a solution. So, um, it's not something that's sold, you know, it's the advice that's that's getting sold. And this is just part of the, the package of advice to a client. So um, I, it's going to continue to change. And I, I, I just think eventually this, this old style of, of doing business is, is just going to die out. Well, the
0: regulators had their way with too, right? Because, you know, people Mm -hmm. were so fearful of just being state regulated or just being SEC regulated. And they felt like they were forced to be FINRA, I guess, the old NASD regulated, which, you know, like you just said, 20 years ago, there, there wasn't a lot of options for independent advisors to be out there unless you just did investment advice. So when a client came to you and said, hey, I also have these insurance needs as well, you... We're kind of stuck, and a lot of a lot of times, what the compromise was was sort of this hybrid model of hey, we're going to lean one way into our Series Seven, and and we're going to lean the other way into our Series sixty five, and we're going to sort of play both sides because I can't give comprehensive advice without having both of those bodies involved. And now, we we have heard of DPL; they're very good. There are a few others out there as well. Um, that have yeah. literally made this a part of the fee package. So no right. more commissions, no more, you know, we know the annuity business, you're talking four to 8%, you know, commission for the, for the advisor. At some 10, point, even,
3: yeah.
2: yeah.
0: ten. <laughs> it's yeah. definitely, when is it about making a commission and when's it about providing good insurance um, solutions for your client? And I think there's a very big conflict of interest there. I've always felt that way. Um mm-hmm. I hope you're right, uh, Nola. That more and more people will will cross over the wall into the dark side, as I call it, and, uh, and sort of leave leave the trend, leave the true transaction stuff behind. Um, which means that you're also going to leave behind the conflict you may have between your w your own personal w two and, and what's best for you know, for clients seeking advice.
3: Yeah, it'll take time. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time already, but things move faster now.
2: Do you think that the term financial advisor is problematic?
3: I think the whole industry is confusing to people. What's a financial advisor? What's a wealth manager? What's a financial planner? We've got all these you know, different distinct titles, and I don't think um, people know what they mean. Um, so... It's clear from some initial conversations I have with people that, you know, this is what they're seeking. They're seeking some comprehensive advice without the sales pitch. Um, but yeah, all that terminology just just confuses folks. I think um, they're still mega confused about what kind of organization you can approach and ex- and what you might expect to get from them. Um, so I'm really grateful for the press who gives a lot of big plugs to, you know, fee-only advisors, to NAPFA, to Garrett Planning Network, to XY Network, um, and, and keep getting the word out. So, and that's one thing I wanted to be sure to mention when we're speaking, you know, just, and maybe I said this before, but just being there making your presence known is such a huge difference. You never know who's watching. You never know who's looking <laughs> for something for someone and that someone might be you. So, um, you know, never doubt the that you're making a contribution by just being there.
2: I agree with that. I'm, I've lived that for the last few years. You know, I started a business five years ago and it's, a very niche business. I help financial advisors transition, so I help them leave one firm and go to another firm, and that is a very specific thing. Most people that are not in the industry wouldn't understand it. wouldn't Wouldn't you know? I could explain it to them, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't get what the difficulty of that process is. And so, just by being here and putting myself out there and letting people know who I am and what I do, I don't have to prospect really ever. I am just here, existing, doing what I do. And because I'm one of few people who does what I do, people just come to me. I get business from all corners of the market now. Um, and that, it was not the case at the very beginning because nobody knew me or knew what I was doing. but. If you are there and you have a presence and you tell people what it is that you do and you let them know, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that people will re- that will resonate with people and they will come to you. And and um, you know, it's it it is. So just have a presence. It's, it's great mm-hmm. as great advice.
0: I got a question for you, Nola. You have your daughter is is younger. She's on your team now. She tried to go the other route frustrated by the offerings that were there not every daughter is going to have a mom that's that's doing what you're doing what would you say to you know the 25 year olds that are coming through this next generation of folks getting out of school right now in in the middle of a recession what a tough time to come you know to come out of out of school and to try to find work in any Capacity, let alone this capacity, which now you know, of course, carries all the negative connotations on, on, on mainstream media outlets. What do you tell those women that not only are trying to step into this business, but also are trying to do it the way you did it? And I'm going to reference these two things. You have your CFA, which I I used to call it the doctor's degree of our industry. I mean, if you if you have a CFA, there's no point in going back to school. You've had the best education you could have. Uh, So very few people pass that after, you know, some people it takes more than three years. Um, My partner has it. Uh, He's very intelligent and you are, too. But you also have your CFP. So when you look at on a percentage basis, the number of human beings walking on this planet with both those designations or certifications um, are few. Mm -hmm. There are women that are coming up behind you that want to follow that path. And CFA opens up a lot of a lot of windows, right? You can be, you can eventually be a portfolio manager. You can have your own asset management group if you want to with that designation, or you can go your route. Um, mm-hmm. Half of your career in big corporate for one of the biggest firms on the planet. And then the other half running your own business. What do you say to 25 year old Nola now in 2022? What's the advice?
3: Mm, okay. Um. Well, of course, at that age, uh, there's still a lot to know. A lot, a lot, a lot to learn. So, um, you know, look for the best organization you can find and consider, um, you know, signing up for them, even if your longer term goal is to hang out your own shingle and have your own practice. Um, you got to start somewhere, right? And there's too much to know, particularly I mean, I, it's interesting with the designations that I got, I actually found the um, CFP the more challenging of the two. And a lot of people would say just the opposite. I but would. It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, I was at a firm where we kind of lived and breathed everything um, that, we, that I was studying and it, it was focused on investments. And so um, I'm kind of a focus-oriented person, um, so maybe it was just a better fit. But the CFP, the challenge there is just that it's so broad. And there's, you know, memorizing all the, you know, rules around IRAs alone could take you (laughs) a while. (laughs) Um, Thank God for prep courses is all I can say. But um, yeah, so, you know, Um, go, go try to get some OTJ on the job training so that you're living and breathing some of this stuff. Um, And then when you do your work on designations, it's, it's going to be a lot more meaningful to you um, because if you, it's all theory and no practice um, without that. of course, there's an experience requirement anyway for the CFP. So you might as well do it at the best place you can find in terms of you know what their effort represents, and and importantly, like we were talking before, what their culture is like, how they treat clients, what's a good client experience, for example. Um, and um, anyway, there. That that's what I guess that was my own path, you know, as opposed to going to graduate school or doing some other things. Um, and it's possible to do that, I think, anywhere. I mean, I don't know um, how broad your audience is, but. Um, I think you can do that most parts of the country. I mean, I grew up in a remote part of Washington state, so I know it's not possible and everywhere. But even there, I think, you know, there was an obvious local bank that <laughs> I might have approached and, and gotten to learn some things. So, um, yeah.
1: Nola, thank you for just sharing a little bit of your journey and all that good stuff. Um, I think the knowledge that you've acquired, in Garland already said CFP and CFA, that's a small amount of women unicorn that are in this industry that hold both designations. So congratulations to you, and um, shout out shout out to Western Mass people. Um, I missed home except from October until um, April. Y'all can keep, you can keep the snow. I don't miss the snow. <laughs> but no uh uh greer any final questions parting comments
2: um no i mean i talked a lot on this episode so i think um (laughs) i think that i have asked uh and made comments on some of the things that resonated with me but i you know i thank you for continuing to do what you do and be a part of this industry. And, um, you know, I'd love to know how people can contact you if they have questions or, um, you know, if they just need somebody to talk to or if they need an advisor.
3: Um, sure. Uh, best ways probably through my website, um, which is kulig, K U L I G, financial.com. Uh, there's an inquiry button there. Um, so I'll pick up those messages right away and it has my contact information obviously on the website as well. So great. Thank you, Mr. Garland. Thank Scott. you. <laughs> well, thank you all for having me. It's been enjoyable to talk with you and I get a chance to tell all those stories. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you, 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 were, you were absolutely fantastic. Let me just end with this. Um, and I'll let Ed in the show, but, um, I always thank our guests when they come on the show, because first of all, you don't have to, um, you don't have to put your name out there like that, but I also want to thank you for sort of being a Titan in our industry. Um, 81 to now is a very long time. That's, you know, that's a couple (laughs) of generations. Oh,
2: well, well. not
0: calling me old. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Titan. You say, oh, it's a Titan. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but you are a Titan, though, because, you know, doing it in the, in the context that you did it in, doing it where you did it from, um, and doing it during a time. I mean, the 80s are sort of notoriously known to be not great environments all the time for, you know, for women in particular. Um, you know, I, I hear those old stories and, you know, guys smacking booties and things like that used to happen. And things that would now be sexual harassment cases weren't that then. Um, but to come up through an organization like, you know, like Russell, uh, spend that much time there, conquering that world, um, obviously decorating your, you know, yourself with all these accoutrements, as you, if you call it, with all the financial and and, and, uh, and knowledge that you gained through your certifications is, is incredible. Uh, doing it as a woman, knowing that 30%, we're just kind of stuck at 30% all these decades, and it hasn't changed much. Um you know, thank you for that, because this is the kind of podcast that we will air that women will listen to and they will be motivated by this. That's why we do it. I mean, we we've, yeah. the three of us finally are in a position where we can do this. We couldn't do it. When, when I was at Goldman Sachs, no chance. When it was at Wells Fargo, no chance. When I was at UBS, no chance. Now we are all sort of independent um, and we can do what we want to do. And this is what we want to do. We want to highlight people like you. Um, so that other people can see and hear your journey and, and they can feed from that. And hopefully we can move the needle just a little bit. Can we get it to 40%, maybe, maybe
3: closer to half,
0: you know, more indicative. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That would be great. Yeah, it would be great. So that's why we do it. And I want to thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. And you're doing a really good thing, getting the word out and making this more real for, for more people of all sorts. So
1: Well, Nola, it like I've told so many other people, it would have been easy to quit and go do something else and make a very good living doing that, but you stayed there. So like Garland said, you are a Titan. We thank you for continuing to stay in the industry and and be a model for others to, you know emulate to want to get into this business. So thank you for your time too. You know, we know it's doing You're trading, welcome. we know it's doing it's doing you know business hours, and you could have been talking to a client or a prospect, but you took a little bit of time to spend some time with mm-hmm. us and just share your journey. So appreciate you. Thank you to everyone that's tuned in. This has been another journey, the financial advisor experience with the one and only Nola Kulig. Go check her out on our website. We appreciate you guys. Everyone have a great day, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are. Take care. Thank you.
3: Bye-bye. Thank you.